Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an All act. Right. All right. Jay, we're back. Do it live. Here I am. That's getting old. I'll stop. Yeah, that was yeah. totally like two months ago. At least two months ago. And then nowadays, you just can't keep things going. But I'm You could say fake news. Fake news. Oh, yeah. So we won't, this is going to be real news, not fake news yeah, today. That's right. This is real news, 100%. No backroom stories. Besides, I did shave my mustache. That is clean shave. Wow, like you 100%, are clean. like with a razor. Yeah, I don't like it, Jay. I know. I look like a baby now. Huh? You do. Like a little kid. Now you look like my son. Now I'm not respectable. You, you just like like you, a kid. Like you wouldn't respect me as much because you're like, oh, he, he he's a know-it-all young guy. Yeah, your mustache brings some credibility. Dang it! All right, but we're Jay, gonna... we are back. Yeah, we're back. Anyways, we took some time off. Where were we? We were in Mexico, and Questa, with good Houston. intentions, we were gonna <laughs> we were gonna record down there. We were gonna record down there, but we didn't have Wi-Fi. Very barely, right? Our house Wi-Fi wasn't as good as. It was yeah, like to be. we had limited amount of when we could like. That was we, true. We, the thread was getting cut off, and I had to get some work done, and so yeah. there was risk of. Basically, getting cut if off. we went over a certain amount of Wi-Fi, they would shut it down for three days. Until I found town. out one of the younger Groms on the crew was walking around watching Netflix on his phone. I'm like, "What are you doing?" Oh my gosh! So maybe that's just a threat. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I told him to shut it off immediately. Yeah. But that's why, uh, if that, you're guys. still with us and still listening to us, we you appreciate it. You, you haven't left us. We appreciate that. Um, I was hoping we picked up some Mexico listeners. I went to church in Mexico. Yeah, you did. And I didn't understand much. Did you understand, did you understand a word they said? It was state conference. You know, you, one of the guys that went with us served his mission there. Yeah. And so when we walked in, when you walk to another, uh, you know, you go to another country, you go to church, it's just the same spirit. It's the same format. I personally love the looks on people's face when they see a bunch of gringos walking in. Yeah. And they're just stoked to see you. They're like, like, oh. per, like why are they here? Yeah. They're wearing shorts and sandals. And then then they're just like, they're just stoked you're there. Yeah. And they find like out, they're, they're like, you're on a surf trip and you came here to our church? Yeah. So they're just pumped. Oh, that's And so grand. the fact that he served his mission there was even better. Uh, yeah, he was pumped to see everyone. We went on did some visits mm-hmm. in the neighborhoods I after with them. Really it was really special. Uh, we don't have any listeners from Mexico the last week. Ooh. So our actually listeners, because we haven't posted a new episode for a couple weeks, but uh, we do have some Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Czech Republic. Wait, when are we posting the one that we did with the interview? That's going to be at the end of this one. Yeah, okay, cool. cool okay. Cool, cool. So awesome. leading LDS, we were uh, on that podcast. Yeah, that was an awesome and podcast. He hasn't posted his yet, but we're going to post ours up uh, when you get this, and we'll let him know. I think he's going to try to post it around the same time. Cool. But uh, yeah, we've still got listeners, even though that's just new listeners coming in. Yeah, nice. But uh, still some other countries. The Czech, Netherlands, Saudi Arabia. Nice. Like, what? How's that? Like, that just blows my mind. Saudis. Uh, any uh, church news you've heard about? No. To be honest, unpl- un- unpl- well, actually, there was that thing. I saw right before we left. Remember that there was a, a text you that girl. Yes. That girl that bore testimony in somewhere in Utah. Twelve-year-old girl. Yeah. Who uh, got up during fast and testimony meeting, and bore her testimony, and 
the bishop cut her life, her mic off, and that was like cut all over the off. news. Cut her life off. Cut, cut, cut her mic. mic. Did I say off. life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her mic, not her life. <laughs> she's still willing to she's live still, her life. She's still willing to live life. But uh, I read, I what do you video. think of that? Well, first of all, I saw the video. First, I saw the post, and I'm like, oh, here's someone trying to get attention. Like, this, let me, let me watch. So I click, right? I'm like, they're just hooking me. And then, sure enough, I watch, and like, she just got way too graphic detail. Like she, like what was she? You could tell it was like stage. It seems staged. Just watching. It, a few articles I read was that her mom. I think I could be wrong on this, but uh, for those of you who don't know, she basically said, "Let me say this." So yeah. She got up there and was like, she was bearing her testimony, pretty normal, twelve year old. You could tell barely anyone's listening, right? It's fast testimony means a lot of people, it's loud, kids yeah. crying. You barely hear what she was saying because she's twelve. But then all of a sudden, she's like, "And I'm gay." and I know the church lo- like I'm gonna, something like I'm gonna be married in the temple. No, shit, I look forward to being married in the temple with my 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 female bride or something. And that's kind of where it was like that's when the mic gets cut off. Yeah, it was well, it was just kind of staged at that point. You could tell what she was doing. I, I read a few articles when she was interviewed. Had she had written this speech uh, for months before? Oh, months. There you Her go. mom had kind of been kind of left the church a while back. Not typical. I was gonna say usually twelve year olds don't. Um, come about a, about a year ago when the policy came out about uh, if you're a child in in a oh, household, in a yeah, yeah, that was the yeah. straw that broke the mom's uh, back, yeah. so to speak. But you know, my my take on it was, you get up and you bear your testimony of recovery and about being addicted to yeah. drugs. Yeah. Um, and we've heard others, but it's not as if you're up there like the way I'd analogize yeah. it is if someone who is smoking the cannabis. Yeah. And there's purported medical benefits, though, right? For sure. But the church has made a hard line on it. But if someone for gets recreational. up... recreational. They haven't said anything for medical. That, that's true. Yeah. But, like, this person gets up and says, like, hey, the church is going to come around to it. I smoke it recreationally. It relaxes me. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they're promoting... Promoting something, something that that's contrary... Contrary that, to the church. That They would get cut off. For sure. In a second. And, and Or if I went up there and talked about my past and said graphic details, right? Or, or that as well. well yeah, what I for sure would be shut off. Like, yeah. I mean, I would have expected... So to, to, to I've to, actually seen people get cut off before, like this many times. This isn't not, new. It's not a thank moaning But I saw or, comments on here like, "Here you go, church censoring," you know, blah blah yeah. blah. It's like, come on. I, I think I, 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 my opinion, it does definitely look staged. For sure. And it was a point. I mean, the, how quickly it got to the news, like that was like they were like they were hoping the mic could get cut off. Yeah. The way you could get into the news articles. Yeah. Well, so gosh bless her. her. Um, yeah. You know, the, She's clearly the church loves you. Yeah. God loves you. Yeah, um, if you're, you're making uh, lifestyle choices, there's there's consequences to that, good yeah. and bad. Well, it's like the temple questions, right? Like one of them is, you know, you got Are you living the contrary to the church or not? Like, dude, it's just it is. Either you're in or you're out. Like, and and if you're in the in between, it's okay. Like, just don't go out there and start bashing. Or one way or the other, or promoting one way Promoting or the other. a lifestyle that's contrary. Just be who like, you are. It's okay to say I'm trying to figure things out. Totally, and that's what more people are hopefully. Hopefully we'll get to that place where people can talk about, I'm, I believe in the church, but I have some questions here. I still want to come, and I still want to participate, hey, that's and what, I feel safe That's the that. foundation of Joseph Smith anyways. He had questions. Dude, exactly. Well, Doctrine and Covenants is all questions. We wouldn't even have Questions would, and answers. We wouldn't be, that's kind of a trip thing. We wouldn't even be here without a question. Right. A bunch of questions. Right. But it's just being humble enough to be, to, to accept the, right the answer. To accept the answer, too. Accept the answer and to, and to do it in the right way, right? It's mm-hmm. all in the spirit of everything. So, anyway, she's 12. <laughs> Good luck. I got I got twelve year old. Yeah, you have twelve year old. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure they they're gonna think they know everything at one they, point. At right? some point, they think they do, and they're just trying to make their sense of it. You know. Anyways, any other news? Um, 
Where? Uh, no, I don't have any more news. <laughs> We're short on time, short on news. We want to get to our our uh, interview with uh, uh, the other podcast that we're going to post up here. We're going to listen to your step three share. Step three. And uh, let me see if there's one other. There was some other one. I just keep, been reading, a lot of... I've been, keep reading more articles on the opiates. Like, honestly, like every other week, it's opiate this, opiate that. And I watched a whole little new thing, a new little short video that was placed on one of the local news channels and... But basically, it's just, listen, more people die in this country, if you're listening, from opiate overdoses than any other cause of death, period. Opiate yeah. addiction alone, that, not just addiction now, and alcohol and heroin, opiates, painkillers, prescription painkillers. I don't care if that's your, that's your, uh, your Vicodin, that's your Norco, that's your Oxycontin, that's your Lortab, that's your, uh, your you know, all these other types, fentanyl patches, your, your, all these other things, fentanyl. That's people die in this country more from those over prescriptions because they're being over prescribed. They're getting better, but the doctors are being cracked down finally. But uh, over prescribed, and people are dying from that more than anything more than accidental deaths, car accidents. That's crazy. From that's, something that's illegally obtained. Yeah, from right? legally obtained. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Legally, legally obtained. and promoted yeah. through a trust. In fact, most of the deaths. Source. Um, from them are, are, are from people who have a legal prescription. Maybe not even abuse it. They're just they're taking too much, and then they try something new, and then boom. Yeah. Or they, you know, yeah, it just sucks. Um, well, for, for minor issues, for minor issues, people are being prescribed. I mean, we all know this, but and so they're starting to finally question these doctors and FDA and all this stuff. Is starting to say the medical boards are like, how long do you prescribe someone who has back surgery or a tooth pulled, a wisdom tooth pulled? Should he should he or she have ninety Vicodin, or should they have ten? Well, I, right. I always think it's it seems I seems silly to have pharmaceutical sales because the sales per sales guy saleswoman you're setting up is failure, telling the doctor up. what to do that, as opposed to research. That's and, that's what it's been. I mean, Big that's where they're getting set information up to where guys like me that I do sales, right? <laughs> like, Young guys and girls are out there that are that are dressed to the nines. I've seen them. Make I see them. They make a ton of know, money. They make a, they make three times what I make. Yeah, and, and uh, they're pushing drugs that are being tested on the public. Mm-hmm. See, like Oxycontin and all this stuff, this, when, they, when the drug goes into its last final stages, it's, let's see how it reacts to the public. Right. Let's see how the public reacts to it. And we'll look yeah. at this. It's killing more people in this country than anything else. Well, and, and I was talking to some, some guys last night that fireworks, it was 4th of July yesterday, yep. that uh, you know, they, you, I get a lot of questions, as probably you, about, sure. hey, how's this ARP working? How's yeah. that addiction meeting? How's the 12? You know, they have all these questions. And I say, look, frankly... It's, it's prescription drugs and it's pornography because everyone's going to be exposed to those things. Almost everyone will be exposed to those two things yeah. in their lifetime. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's actually more rare with the alcohol. It's rare with the cigarettes. Yeah, it's rare with heroin. It's rare with it, those. Those things happen, but those two you will be exposed to and everyone's going to react to it differently. Yeah. And for some, it's an immediate addiction, immediate hook. Yeah. And for others, it's a long process, longer sure. process. But but those are two things that are very common in society and two things that are looked at so society as being totally normal. For sure. Like yeah. you, this you opiate epidemic is because of and pornography epidemic, right? It's for sure an epidemic, I would yeah. say, because of the sex trafficking now oh. and all this other stuff. This is is yeah, it's yeah. crazy. All right. Well, I can go on for hours. There, there's a solution. There's a solution to that. What is that? The solution is to get honest. If you got an issue, if you feel like you maybe you shouldn't take that next pill, you're taking it. You feel like the spirit's gone when you take it, or if you can't, you tried to stop pornography on your own a couple times. Guess what? Humble yourself, say a prayer, you know, 
and and be brave enough to go walk, you know, go on your computer, go to LDS what addiction ARP.LDS.org. There it is, right? The technical term. Go to the website, put in your zip code, find a meeting. You don't even have to tell your bishop yet. Just go to the meeting yourself. Just go. And drive a half hour and find another one if you're yeah, too embarrassed if you don't to like show that up one, Yeah, there's another one that's even further away if you're afraid of seeing someone. But listen, if, if you're you serious, want, you'll if, drive. If you're serious, you'll do it. And if, if you don't, there's no guarantee you're gonna, your life's going to work out. I promise you that. I've seen too many people die, and I've seen too many families broken up from those two addictions. So just get brave and be honest. All right. Well, let's get on to your share of step three. Step three. And Boom. then uh, sh- uh, leading LDS uh, simul podcast after that. Boom. All right. Jam and Attic. Grateful to be here. Um, yeah, trusting God. When I first came to these meetings, I was uh, consuming over a thousand prescription pills a month. I had a seven-year habit uh, that was just running r- wild. I had uh, tons of experiences with trusting God at that point. I'd just gotten home from a mission a few years prior, about four or five years prior to that. But uh, so I had experiences with trusting God, but. Um, I had seen, you know, like once again, I say this every week. So if you're here every week, you hear it. But um, every one of these steps, when I read them or when we read them, they apply to me perfectly. And it's like someone wrote, someone like just tapped into my brain and just like downloaded it. And uh, I, there was a time when I first came to this meeting, I was, that was not the case. It was like, dude, you people are all weird. I'm not, I don't have a problem. You have a problem. And if you have a problem with me, then I have a problem with you. That was like my exact mentality. And uh, yet, like I said, when I walked in here, I had a prescription drug addiction that was going to kill me. And uh, the fact that I was still alive at that point was no short of a miracle. You don't believe in miracles. Well, it defied science, period, right? And uh, it was unexplainable, just like many people that I've met in this program. But I had experiences with trusting God, but it says in here, you know, I was, I was too, you know, many of us were scared to be like children and be vulnerable again. I had experiences in my childhood that I didn't, you know, I said, don't trust people, you know, don't trust people. They let you down. And uh, I had experiences in my life um, with physical ailments, with this drug addiction um, that, you know, is like, I don't trust, don't trust God. Where, where has he been for the last however many years? You've tried to stop on your own. You've, tr- you've made commitments to your friends, your family to, to get off drugs, stop drinking, to be 100%. Fact, you joined the church when you were 19. You sacrificed everything. You left all your friends behind and family, and 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 went on a mission. You know, I went across the world, and yet here I was feeling alone. I wasn't alone, but I felt alone, and uh, that's a big difference. And uh, so I had I had a hard time. If I I'd be lying to you if I came here and said that this principle is an easy one for me. This is a principle that I have to I had to do when I first did it, and I've had to, I still have to renew it all the time. It's something I have to live on a daily basis because I'm very quick to forget that he's there. I didn't grow up with religion in my home. I didn't grow up with any, anything like that. I mean, there was not even a Bible in our house. And, uh, you know, trust in God was stuff you saw in, do- you know, in money. You know, it was a statement that you see. I didn't, there was never, that was never talked about. It was trust in your own ability, trust in, you know, yourself and what you can do with your mind. What do you do when your mind freaking, you lose your mind? How do you trust in yourself, right? My grandpa who raised me said, you know, you could do anything with the power of your mind. Well, what do you do when you're lost and you're literally insane? It was insane. I was taking three to 500 pills of, of some form of oxycodone and, uh, or oxys or Percocet or whatever I can get my hands on, uh, Vicodin, and then I was taking thousands of muscle relaxers every month. I was taking Xanax, Valium, Adderall. I was stealing from other people 
um, and pretending and telling every time my wife would try to call me out that I didn't have a problem. You know, I had a prescription for some of these drugs. Well, sure, I'd get a prescription, but when I'd consume that in about five days, then I thought that gave me the justifying to steal from other people or buy it on the street. You know what I mean? And this is the insanity of my addiction. And I thought that uh, I was pretty broken at this point. My wife was sitting next to me, left me. She said, I'm done. I want nothing to do, you know, rightfully so, right? I was crazy. Every day was a different day. It was like Russian roulette, you know? If you lived with me, it was, it was dangerous. And I was, I was violent. I was verbally abusive. I, I was up and I was down and uh, hot and cold. And, and one day I went to give her a kiss goodnight and tell her I loved her. And she said, I hate you and I want a divorce. And uh, at the time, that broke me. And at the time, it, made, it fueled even more anxiety. It fueled more drugs. It fueled a lot of things. But uh, four and a half years later, uh, on the, on the it'd be, yeah, four and a half years later, almost this week, yesterday, um, I've realized now that I've been sober for those four and a half years that that statement saved my life. Because finally, someone who loved and cared about me and who I loved and cared about finally put their foot down and said, enough is enough. This behavior is not acceptable. This behavior is not appropriate. And this is insanity. And I don't want to be a part of it anymore. And I'm going to go fix myself. That's what she said. You, good luck with you. And I hope you get it together for our kids, but I'm done. And she meant it. And she did it. And uh, it sparked a, uh, a big inward uh, time where I, you know, because I had all this justification and I had all this minimization and I had all these resentments and I didn't trust God. I didn't trust people and I didn't trust myself. And it's a scary place to be. Uh, you know, it's borderline suicidal because what, you know, when you have no hope, that's scary. And that's what I felt like. And, um, but luckily I had a friend who was also trying to get sober. So this is a friend who wasn't perfect. This is a friend who was just like me, had resentment towards God, his family and his friends, uh, resentment towards the church. Um, and who was also consuming a copious amount of opiates that would kill most of us in the room. And he had like a day sober. And he's like, hey, I just moved back from Utah. I dropped her off. And he goes, hey, your life's a mess. Who are you fooling? I'm like, no, you got a problem, not me. Like, you know what I mean? I have prescriptions. You're buying yours on the street. You know, this is crazy. And he's like, there's this meeting. It's in San Clemente. There's like four or five people that come to it. I promise you, if you come with it with me, we can do this together. And I was like, you're crazy. It's, like, it's not going to work. I don't, first of all, I don't have a problem, right? See, if I admitted it once in my mind, then that's surrendering, right? And if I admitted it once, then that means now what? All, everything I did for the last seven years, there's no justification anymore. And, uh, but I went with him. I don't know why. I, went, I think I went just to, like it says in here, some of us feel forced uh, be, be here by others, right? But um, as we took step three, we had decided to act for ourselves. And, you know, I felt pressured to come to these meetings for the first time. And I, I was just trying to manipulate my wife. I was hoping he would then tell my wife that I was there. But you know what happened is when I went there, I, uh, I don't know if I felt the spirit because I was pretty high. But I, uh, I, uh, I definitely realized that the people in there, I don't know. I don't know what I realized. All I know is I went back the next week and the next week and the next week. And in those two or three visits, I started to realize really quickly that the people in the room that were sharing, like I am right now, that they weren't full of crap. And that um, when they described the chaos of their life, kind of like I'm talking about right now, I sat back and where some of you guys are for being new in this meeting and, or, or whatever, new in recovery. Um, I started to realize that, you know, when you're an addict or you're an alcoholic or you're, you're whatever your disease is, um, 
you can be, you know, the one thing you can't BS is another addict or alcoholic. And when you listen to their shares and you start to, I started to identify as people started to share. I heard their chaos, the jail, in and out of jail, the rehab, this, the, 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 parent, the parent fights, the friend fights, the, their spouses leaving them. And I started to recognize myself and other people. And uh, at first I didn't trust God still, but I trusted what my, the, like it says in there, I start, it's literally like someone wrote this from my brain. I started to trust in other people, which was huge because at the time I didn't trust God and I didn't trust myself. So trusting in someone else was enough in the beginning. And uh, luckily I, got, I came to these meetings consistently and uh, there was this, uh, there was a very special person in that meeting in San Clemente who had the same job that I have right now to share and to open the meeting every week. And the influence of this person that had a year, was getting their year chip uh, probably around my first month uh, was, and, and had, lost, had lost their child, you know, custody battle and then got it back from recovery, it gave me 100% hope. And I had zero freaking hope. And I had hope for the first time and, and, uh, and it was powerful. And I remember calling Lexi after we'd been separated for a few months and not talking at all, at all. And uh, no, I love you, or no, I hope you get it together. It was like, yeah, don't talk to me anymore. I'm filing for a divorce. And, uh, and I called her after this person had shared and got their year chip. And I was like, I think I, maybe I do have a problem. And maybe I can get sober. And maybe you were right. Maybe everyone else was right. Maybe I was wrong. A bunch of maybes. But that was my first admitting with that I had a problem, I think, to another person. And, uh, you know, that was it. You know, it started with that. And uh, my life um, started to have little bits of peace come back into it. Um, but, you know, what gets you sober or what starts your sobriety doesn't keep you sober. It won't, it won't last that long. You got to keep filling up the well, right? If the well goes dry, you're, you're thirsty. And that's why these, they, we recommend that if you're new to this meeting, if you feel the spirit tonight before you leave, Talk to someone, talk to me, talk to someone in this program that you hear share, ask them to be your sponsor if you feel prompted. You have to get a sponsor and you have to do these steps. You have to take this book home and you have to read it because it'll apply. There's actually a study guide in the back and there'll be questions and there's someone that has been through what you've been through. And then when I walked into those meetings, I was so freaking broken and so caught up in my mind of the insanity. I thought I was terminally unique and I was going to die like this. I'd already lived like this for most of my life, so it was fitting to die like that. And then I found these other people. There wasn't very many. There wasn't as many. There was not even half of as many people in this room. So you have a better shot, in my opinion. You have greater numbers, right? And uh, so there's no excuses. And, you know, this disease is baffling. That same person who was a huge influence in my life has, has found themselves back in their disease again and has chose to relapse and has chose to suffer the insanity again chose to suffer the insanity again and friday night i had to go pick this person up and take him to the hospital and it was not fun and it was not fun to see someone who i looked up to in their state but you know what it's okay i the spirit whispered to me this is a disease that is baffling and cunning and if you have a day of sobriety and you want to keep it guess what your disease, whether you believe it is or not a disease or whether you believe it exists or not, it's in that other room and it's doing push-ups and it's waiting for you 
to put your guard down, and it's waiting for me to put my guard down. It's waiting for me to not say my prayers. It's waiting for me to not read this book and to not show up. And as soon as I do, it's, it'll, it can be gone like that. This person's lost again. In and out of rehab. $1,000 in the hole. And will probably lose everything. They don't surrender. Just like me. Just like any of us. None of us are exempt once you, once you open this door. But you know what? This program can save your life. If you don't trust God, trust me. If you don't trust me, trust someone else in this room. I'm not the only one. I'm looking around with so many miracles. Once again, you don't believe in God? Miracle defies science. You can't explain it. More people die from this disease than all other diseases combined in this country. It's an epidemic, and it's real. And I'm grateful to be alive, and I'm grateful to finally have this step that I can try to apply. It's not easy, but I can try to apply it when I need to and uh, surrender and trust in God. So I'm grateful you guys are here, and I'm sorry for going a bit longer, but I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Here we go. Welcome back to the Leading LDS Podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, and today I'm excited to introduce my audience to do the Next Step Podcast with Brad and Jay. How are you, Brad and Jay? Doing great. How are you? Awesome. You know, have you guys thought about like a you know like a Hollywood couple name like uh, Bray or something that you could? Uh... <laughs> I think Brad and Jay just sounds smooth. I know it does, but yeah, I like Bray though too. Like it could be the Brayinators. I don't know. Yeah, we'll just keep Brad and Jay. We'll have to come up with think of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just an idea. I'm full of these uh, somewhat not helpful ideas. <laughs> hey, Nonetheless, like uh, now, now, where are you guys at? You guys in Southern California, right? We are. We're in, based out of Laguna Niguel, California. Nice. It's in and, South uh, Orange County, about 20 minutes south of Disneyland. And you guys mention a lot on your podcast about surfing. You guys are surfers. <laughs> yeah. You better believe it. Nice. I uh, I I got stung by a jellyfish once, and and that was enough for me. So I, I and as a Utah boy, I just don't get in the ocean a lot. So, uh, hey. but maybe I need to try. Hey, at least you got stung by a jellyfish. You're in the club. Yes, right. If you haven't been right? stung by a jellyfish, you haven't experienced enough water time. That's right. Nice, nice. I, I I'll wear that as a badge of honor here. So. You should. You should. Now, are both of you? I just want to kind of get to know a little bit about your background and what led you to the podcast, uh, starting the podcast. And I know from my own experience, starting a podcast is not necessarily an easy thing. It's not something you accidentally do. Um, but uh, maybe let's start with you, Brad. What's your background, and uh, or, or do you have a lifelong uh, influence of the church and raised in the church? And just tell us about what, what led you to where you're at. Yeah, I, I did grow up in the church here in southern Orange County, and I, you know, born and raised in a somewhat active family household, um, and went on a mission, went to BYU, uh, came back and live in the same town that I grew up in, one of those weird guys that goes away and comes back, but I loved it here so much. I wanted to raise my family here. And, you know, I was young men's president early on in my marriage here and ward mission leader and elders quorum presidency and, uh, and, and all along, just uh, Peter Priesthood type 
type life, I guess you should say, doing, do, living by the commandments, living by the strength of youth, and really believed what I say, as I believed what my leaders told me, that I would be safe and happy if I followed those commandments. But I had many friends that did not, um, from even my high school days. You know, I go back to the guys I grew up with and, and see where they are today, and those that made those choices, um, many of them got swept away by the, by the disease of addiction, I've had many family members as well. And so I was, uh, this all started for me when Jay moved into our ward. He moved into our neighborhood that I live in, and he and his wife on their first, what probably, was it your first Sunday? Probably. probably one of the first. First Sundays there, definitely our first fast Sunday. Jay got up and bore his testimony, and Jay's a, a handsome, debonair-looking guy, and during, <laughs> looks like, you know, he's got, he's He's dressed, a surfer, of course he is, right? Dressed to the nine, like fitted suit, just, you know just looking awesome. And then he bears his testimony, a heartfelt testimony about the the blessings he's had through this program called Addiction Recovery Program and the 12-step program. And he mentioned something about surfing probably. And I was like, wow, that was a powerful testimony and not that many. In, and, he, and he said, he made an invitation. If anyone has had a problem with a prescription medication, come talk to me. I want to help you because someone did that to me. And that really stood out. And so whether it was that day or probably we met, you know, they probably sat behind us. And so we got, got to know he, knew, he lived up the street. We ended up going surfing a few times. And I just, I'm a very inquisitive guy. And I started asking him a ton of questions about this 12-step program. 20 questions. How many was it? Well, at least 20. Probably 20 in the first, like, 10 minutes. <laughs> probably 60 minutes. It was like a 60-minute episode in the front seat of the car while we were driving. It was only a 30-minute yeah. drive down to the beach. It felt like it felt like 20. All right. It was good, though. So I was just really curious because throughout my, my again, my friends I mentioned, throughout my church callings, I knew people that were wrapped in, in the world of addiction, families destroyed. And, you know, the best I could tell them was, well, read your scriptures and pray and, you know, just stop. And, and just stop yes. and realize the, the back advice. of my back of my mind like that's not good enough and and I'd see some twelve step meetings on TV shows or movies and you see people sitting around in a circle and say they're an addict but I didn't really know what that meant so Jay was the first person that was really honest back with me and answered my questions and not brush it off like most people you start asking questions they're just like yeah yeah and you could tell they don't want to talk about it you know that was a I'm an open book so they 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 especially in the church right like oh I used to do that I repented I'm done. And you could tell mm. they just closed that conversation. And so one of my keen questions to Jay was, well, how many in the movies, you'd see people say, I got to get to a meeting. And they would just stop whatever they're doing and they'd go to a meeting. And I say, how did, what did you do? And he's like, I'd have to wait till Thursday night. Because we only had one meeting in our area at the time that was ran or sponsored by the church. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so. And so I said, well, why isn't there one up here? Like, is there not one in our stake, in, in, the, in neighboring stakes? And he said, no. And I'm like, well, that seems lame. <laughs> so I'm a I'm pretty bold guy. And so I said, well, let me see if I can do something about that. So <laughs> I, my brother-in-law is in a neighboring stake presidency. I called him. I called our stake president. And I said, hey, why don't we have one of these? And we did have a, a men-only pornography meeting in our stake. But I don't think it was attended very heavily, very not promoted very well, and I and and so our our stake president said, well, we have this one already, and if the other stake doesn't want to do a general addiction, we'll we'll do it. And so the other stake said, well, we don't think we have a need for it. Yeah. And I told Jay that, and he laughed. And and then <laughs> and then next thing you know, I have a new calling, and I'm the group leader for our our general addiction meeting, and Jay was our facilitator. 
And that was probably two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. On, on Cinco de Mayo, two years ago. And, and then I'm a big fan of podcasts. And so after a hunting trip, we're out hunting. And I said, Jay, here's another crazy idea. Why don't we spread this message outside of our boundaries? Because this, this message that you have, and we have a unique ability to get people to share and open up. And we have had a lot of people break that anonymity to go help other people. And I said, I think we can get people to come on and we can interview them and share their story of hope and recovery to the world. And Jay nice. said, I said, you're crazy. You're crazy, <laughs> but I'll do it. I said, I'll do it. I was, I honestly, I just didn't think, you know, like because of the culture of the church, I was like, you know, people are going to want to come. Not, not everyone's like me, first of all. And, the, and the, there's only a few that were above me that like, that were kind of my leaders in the program in the church uh, that were willing to do that as well. Right. So and I, I'm not going to lie. I was full of doubts. I was like, dude, and who's going to listen? I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, that's one thing that, I, you know, a lot of people don't admit they have a problem. So, you know, but mm-hmm. I mean, quickly after we put our first episode out there, that was that was blown. First of all, after we did it, it felt so right. We felt the spirit. But then, you know, when we had a few few thousand downloads right away, it was like, whoa, obviously there's people out there typing in 12 steps. LDS, you know what I'm saying? So they're obviously looking for it. So yeah. I was quickly became a believer. And of course, Brad was inspired. And I love your your format of the podcast. And that's the thing. It seems like everybody uh, starts a podcast basically just does interviews. And I guess I'm one of them. But at least I have a specific niche of you know LDS leadership. Awesome, but yours yeah. is is based around the the twelve steps, right? In each ep- each uh, episode, you cover one of the one of the twelve. Correct. I I wanted because I've listened to podcasts. I instead of just repeating the 12 steps every 12 weeks. We do a short, uh, maybe five, 10 minute banter back and forth about the surf report, the today's news, that week's news, church news, stuff church like news. That. And, and some of the podcasts I've listened to that are LDS related are pretty critical of the church. And I definitely, yeah. I kind of wanted to make fun of the critics a little bit. <laughs> and so you kind of get that tone. And then also we talk about addiction news. So, you know, recent, maybe some famous people who died or, or even What's church members. Yeah. And then, then uh, one of the things we were somewhat nervous about is um, during a, I mean, we may get into it in our discussion here, but the format of an ARP meeting, if you haven't been to one, is one of the first things that we do in, a, in an ARP meeting is you do introductions by your first name only. And then after the introductions, we do a re- we, you take turns reading a step. Each week, you read a step. Yeah. And you kind of go around in a circle format, and each person reads a paragraph or two. And then there's a portion called the sharing portion. And Jay's, one of the things that motivated me here is when Jay would do his share, it was just, I mean, I know Jay very well. We go surfing, you know, we hang out all the time and surfing. And, and when he would share, I would say those are inspired words coming out of his mouth, and it would... And he wouldn't even know, like, I would know some people showing up at the meeting with some of their background because they had talked to me before they show up. Jay wouldn't know, but his words were exactly what that person needed to hear. And if I would have said, hey, Jay, you need to sit, you know, address this, but that would change the, the dynamics of the meeting. And it was purely inspired words. And so we actually record his share each week. And that's one of the next thing we do on the podcast. So after the news is his share. Oh wow! And so that's actually my share in our local meeting. So oh, okay, yeah, I've listened to that. I didn't realize you're in an actual meeting when yeah. you do that. Yeah. So we're in that's an actual cool. meeting. We only hit record right when he shares and turn it off right after. So it's very raw and real, and you hear uh, whatever's going on in my life. So if yeah. you listen to one, and all of a sudden you may it may have a downtone. I may have just lost a friend. I may have just you know from this disease, mm-hmm. or I may have just had someone I'm sponsoring relapse, or I may be having a tough time that week. And then some weeks, you know. 
it may be something else. So it's completely whatever that feeling is of the week. So it's pretty authentic that way. And then our last nice. segment, our last segment is ask, ask the addict. And so we, um, people come in and, or we travel to them and we interview <coughs> them just about their experience. And they may have months of sobriety. They may have years, decades. It could be sex, pornography, uh, methamphetamines, cocaine, alcohol. It could be whatever. Yeah. And so we, uh, we just have a wide variety of, of people we've interviewed, um, spouses of addicts, and it's, it's really neat. Yeah, they're powerful stories and, and heart wrenching. Some of them, you, yeah. Some of them I mean, it's sense. it's here these journeys. Uh, it's it's inspiring and, and hopeful. Uh, so let's shift back to you, Jay, a little bit. Uh, you know, Brad sort of touched on his uh, interaction with you and how you met. But take us back even further. What what's your background and and what's led you here? Yeah, so <clears throat> I joined the church in 2005. It was fre- uh, fresh out of high school. I was uh, 18 years old. Started investigating. It was a <clears throat> a boss of mine. I started working for a construction guy. Um, doing cabinetry and some carpentry stuff, finished carpenter stuff. And he was LDS. He had just moved into our town and <clears throat> randomly plucked me out of the, honestly, plucked me out of Home Depot. I was working at Home Depot. and Did you grow up with any religion at all? No religion. No, I had zero. We didn't have a Bible in our house. I mean, at all. So there was wow. no going to church on Sunday. There was nothing against it. I think it was just generally the tone of like, yeah, most of the people my family had known um, were kind of hypocrites with religion. So it wasn't necessarily, and they still weren't judging them. You know, it was just more so like, hey, do good to others and be a good person. And, you know, so same principles of, you know, Christian, you know, do, do unto others what you want done to you. Um, but no no Bible, no scriptures, no stories. I mean, I honestly didn't even know about Christmas and Easter had anything to do with Christ until I was probably 17 years old. So, I mean, that's, that's I might as well have been growing up like Ethiopia or something. Like, didn't know anything about Mormons, didn't know anything about Christianity. And Anyways, joined the church from that boss. He, he, he converted me and, and, and taught me the gospel and went on a mission at a year and a half. Had some things I had to work on, worked closely with a bishop, thought it was all going to be put in the past, and uh, which it was. Like Went out there just so worthy and ready to go. And uh, quickly into my mission, about six, seven months, I started having really bad uh, migraines and um, sinus and allergy problems. And uh, <clears throat> I ended up having to have surgery on my sinuses. I had all these cysts that were forming in my sinus cavities, which if you know your sinus cavities, like, wow. yeah, it's like smaller than a racer, right? Like these small little holes in your face. And I had them the size of grapes. So they were causing a lot of pain and pressure. And so they're like, you're gonna have to have the surgery. We're gonna ship you back from Philippines to Seattle. You're gonna stay Cause I was like, I'm not going home. Like, this is what I'm put on earth to do. I was so hardcore like that. And then, <laughs> then I went to, you know, always wanted to run faster than I probably should have, but which is part of my, my journey as well. But I got to Seattle, Washington, stayed on my mission. And that's where I was prescribed by an LDS doctor, my first painkiller, an opiate, and uh, opioid, like we call it. And the minute I took that pill, it was uh, my life was changed forever. Um, you know, for, for the ba- for the worse, and then for the better. Obviously, now with recovery, but I became heavily addicted on my mission to to painkillers. Even after the surgery, got off them, and then just kind of had this roller coaster for like seven years after that. So it was pretty pretty intense. Wow. And, and, and so with the, you know, with prescription drugs, I, I've often wondered, you know, as individuals cause you, that, that start becoming addicted to prescription drugs because it starts so innocently, right? You had yeah. surgery and this is the prescription, you know, and you just yep. take it, right? And so is it a feeling of, is the addiction manifest itself in a feeling of, 
you know, I still feel the pain of, of the surgery. I've got to keep taking it. Or is it just that it just numbs you altogether and you just, you crave that numbness? That's a good question. Yeah, no, I think it's more of a euphoric high. So one thing I noticed when I first took that first pill is pre-surgery, right? Like he's like, here, here, you're going to take this pre-surgery. And then after surgery, you're going to be a lot of pain. So you're going to take this heavier one, right? So he's like, take this first one. And by the way, even though I had like this kind of wild pass in high school, I'd still never taken a prescription drug really. Like, you know, I do nothing about it. I knew kids who did and I knew people who did, but I wasn't, that wasn't my thing. And so I just took whatever he told me to take pre-surgery. So I went and took it and I had a migraine that morning and I took it and it was like a feeling of you, like head to toe pain gone. Like, you know, my headache washed away and I'd grown up with these headaches throughout most of my life. So that was, I was so naive. I, and I've, I've met other members, this is why I'm bringing it up is, I was naive enough to think that this was a gift from God. Like I really did. I was like, man, this is like a blessing for my life. Like, you know, and the, in this, my bishop president who was a retired doctor as well. And, and this doctor who was an LDS, I mean, they talked to me about, um, medicine, modern medicine, you know, as a blessing. And like, this could help me throughout my life as long as it's you know, managed right. And so I had this like wipe away of all physical pain, but then I also had a euphoric high. Now at the time, like I didn't really understand. Of course I had done drugs and some other things when I was younger before I joined the church, but this was different. This was like pure bliss. And, uh, and uh, I remember reading my scriptures that morning and just like, I just felt so good. So of course, naturally when something feels that good and you're in such a state of pain, you know, prior to taking it, it's, it's I mean, not, there you, good, you know, good luck just stopping. You know, good yeah. luck. It's not something yeah. that, uh, and, and you didn't even have to have, a, I know people that don't even have backgrounds with drugs or alcohol and like, you know, have never taken anything and they take something like that. They can, if they have that euphoric high, so it's a feeling of just pure bliss on top of like a relief, uh, it, it starts to numb your physical and emotional pain. Wow. So at one point, do you, and maybe as an addict, you, you never really admitted that it became a problem until much later, obviously, but when does it uh, become a problem? When did others around you start thinking, okay, question. something's not right here? That's a good question. And, and, and unfortunately, I wish I, 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 this is the crazy part is I actually noticed right away. So um, after my surgery, about a couple of months in recovery, now they drilled my sinuses, right? Like that's pretty intense. Like they literally went up there with a drill. <laughs> they fixed my broken nose that I had from a kid. Like deviated septum. They did all sorts of plastic surgery in my face to try to help my airway get better uh, clearance. And uh, so I was in a lot of pain, right? So, but then after that, about two months later, I, I, I found myself, first of all, I had in the endless supply. I would see this doctor who was a plastic surgeon and a, you know, a surgeon, you know, surgeon, and he would just fill those scripts, right? It was just like a weekly, it was a monthly thing. You show up and the scripts just kept coming, right? But I remember about two months after fully recovering, my nose is clear and it's great. I still had pain and headaches, obviously, because, you know, um, now I'm starting to have rebound headaches from the medicine. But I remember calling my bishop one time and going, or my bishop, my mission president, and saying, I'm starting to forget things. Uh, the scriptures I had worked really hard to memorize were starting to leave. I stopped feeling the spirit on the medicine, you know, so that euphoric high, that happiness kind of was leaving, but yet... I felt like I needed him still. And so I remember calling him and having this discussion late at night. And I got permission to call him. And uh, I was like, hey, this is my story. This is where I'm at. And he's like, well, Jay, you know, you know, or Elder Merrifield, he's like, you know, the modern, this is where he had that discussion about modern medicine, but he kind of left it in my shoes. Like, he's like, it's your decision of how you want to do it. You know, if you have physical pain on one hand. And it, I told him basically, if I don't take him, I have pain. But if I take him, I don't have pain, but I don't have the spirit. That's how I started to feel really quickly. 
And then hmm. just shortly after that conversation, I had a member who was a ward missionary, uh, and he would take us to, on splits and take it. He was really active with us. He was awesome. One night after we taught a lesson, he locked my companion out of the car when he was dropping us off and said, Jay, stay. And, and we kind of didn't know what was happening. And, and he locked the door and kept me in the front seat. And he's like, how many of those are you taking? And I said, what do you mean? He's like, how many of those pills are you taking? He's like, I've seen you reach in your pocket three or four times uh, in just a couple hours. And uh, I broke down and started crying. And I told him you know, everything and told him how, how I felt like I was addicted. And at this point, it was getting unmanageable really quickly. I was taking eight or nine Percocet, which is like oxycodone, which is pretty heavy stuff, um, months after my surgery a day. And I broke down. They let me call my mom. They let me talk to the bishop or the mission president again. And so this all happens, and no one talked about this program. No one talked about this booklet. No one talked about any of this. What they said was, okay, we're going to wing you off of them, and then you should be fine. Well, mm -hmm. we did that. We, went, we, went, we winged me off of them. You know, he tapered down of how many I was taking. And I thought I was done. But you know what? Like anyone else who's, who's suffered from this, if you, if you, there's a huge disconnect. So the minute I got off of them, sure, I didn't have the ups and downs anymore. Like, right? And I didn't feel guilty anymore. I didn't feel sad. But now all of a sudden, I don't feel normal. Like, I, I feel disconnected from the spirit. I feel disconnected from myself because I'd been for two or three months heavily sedated. And then all of a sudden, you're, now you're not. And it was very, it was a challenge. And no one knew, no one had any guidance. No leaders had any guidance. And these are great men. They just didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to help me. Wow. And so I was yeah. lost. I came home early from my mission because it was so lost. And uh, it just got worse when I got home. So on your mission, they were able to sort of wean you off the, the medication. And, and how, many, how much time passed before you, you uh, were about, able to? Uh, about three or four more. transfers. Like I, I, I had... Because I was like a leader on her. I was like a trainer. That's one thing I'm good at, right, is like helping people and motivating them and keeping them going, which is pretty much what I do now for a living and for this podcast and for mm -hmm. our step work in our local meeting. But uh, it's like a, it's a talent of mine for sure, and it's a gift from God. But um, try to do that when you don't feel good, you know, when yeah. you feel like something's off. I had anxiety, which is a common side effect. I had anxiety because when you get off opiates, guess what? You have anxiety. I had um I had confusion, I had memory loss, I had energy loss. Like all these things are completely normal. Like if I if someone gave me Wikipedia at the time, right? This is before Wikipedia, but like if someone <laughs> had given me like the internet to go search like common or my doctor withdrawal symptoms, withdrawal symptoms I would have been like, okay, I gotta ride this out for three or four months, but I'll be good. But yeah. no so is that, that a withdrawal period? Is that what you're experiencing? No, or? well, I mean, yeah, you have physical withdrawals right away. You get sick, you stomach ache. It's like a flu, right? It's a really yeah. bad flu. But I'm talking even after that. There's, mm. I mean, if depending on how many drug, how many opiates you've taken, even as low as 60 days of taking pills or less of opiates or painkillers, you can have symptoms that last up to 12 to 18 months for your brain to fully recover. This is what people don't know about. And this is why they yeah. end up back on more pills, which I did after I got home from my mission. Because I was like, man, this sucks. I felt great. I, all I remembered was the good feeling that I had on them. And so I found an excuse, you know, a pain to take them again. Mm. And, and then, yeah. And then that uh, led you kind of down that path of, of intense addiction. And how, how long did that did that go before you were able to uh, find some, some help? Once again, so this is the sad part. I come home in 2008 and had a great bishop who's now our patriarch. I mean, you know, great leaders. Like I literally had amazing – this area down here, just because it's California, I'll tell you what, it's a strong area. Southern Orange County specifically is strong with leaders and members that are – that are above and beyond to serve and help, right? And have great yeah. testimonies because they grew up around a bunch of non-members. So like they really had to fight for their testimony. However, 
if that bishop or that leader or that stake president had, doesn't know about addiction, then guess what? You might as well be talking to someone you know, who, who's, who's deaf because they don't know what to do. They just tell you to read your scriptures and say a prayer and stop. And I was one of those guys who believed in my leader, so I went there and confessed this inability to keep the covenants and commandments that I wanted to. And uh, they would just say, you know, well, you need to pray. You need to do this. You need to do that, which is all great things. But when, you're, when you have, when, you're, when your mind and your body and your spirit get um, opened up to addiction, I don't care what it is, but especially opioids, it is a long road to recovery. And so I went up and down for, I ended up getting even disfellowshipped in the church because it was hard for me to keep some, some, some commitments. And wish I just wish I would have known about this program. So about five or six years, I get married in the temple, get my temple recommend, get married in the temple, beautiful. Go off to, I had to, I basically was married for two years up at LDS Business College in Utah, went off to BYU, Hawaii, and then my wife finally said, enough's enough. I was consuming over a thousand you know, they came back into my life, you know, when we got married, they weren't, and it was a typical story. Now I'm down the roller coaster again, and I'm taking, you know, um, some anti-anxiety medicine by this time. I'm taking muscle relaxers for a pain injury that I had. I'm taking painkillers. I'm taking Adderall for school. And before you know it, I was taking over a thousand prescription drugs a month. And that, guess what? My story's not unique. That's the crazy right. part. Yeah. Know? So, yeah. And, and then my wife had to leave me. And then when she left me, I had to have a friend. Once again, no bishop told me about the program. No stake president told me about the program. I had to have a friend who was also in a recover or was also addicted to painkillers tell me, hey, there's this meeting down in San Clemente. Let's go to it. By then, my wife had already left me. I mean, she hadn't divorced me yet, but she left me. So I, I was like, well, what else do I have to lose? Let's go. And that was my first yeah. experience at an ARP meeting. And that was almost five years ago. So during this time, was it. I mean, you were you're basically obviously going to your your priesthood leaders seeking help, spiritual help. You know, they were telling, encouraging you, and you know, keep praying, keep doing those right things. And you were sort of white knuckling it at this point, and just trying. Just, yeah, yeah, it was like it was like I could white knuckle for a week. You know what I mean? And not even with drugs. Yeah. Now, now we're talking about pornography issues. We're talking about my brain was in a in a state of panic mode. Yeah. I had no dopamine. If you know dopamine's that happiness, right? I had no yeah. no no. Uh, not, I had zero energy. I felt disconnected. I couldn't. You talk about that being disconnected like a switchboard. Yeah, I used that analogy one time. It's like, yeah, Brad, good point. Like I was, uh, like if you see the old movies where they, you talk to the operator, yeah, and they're connecting yeah. the wires, right? I, it's like someone went in there because when I joined the church, I was in. Like, you know, and everything in my life, all these questions I had about life with the plan of salvation was connected, right? It was like my switchboard was clicked and it was just dialed in ready to go but from the minute i took that first pill to now seven years later everything had been ripped out all the cords and i would try to put one in at a time but like i, I didn't know what i was doing i'm not the switchboard director right and so it was just like just imagine having ripping out all those lines and it was just like it was just like it was horrible it was it, i felt lost yeah. i felt like i something was wrong with me until i went to that first meeting and realized wait a minute there's more people that have had this experience than just me and maybe this one other friend I had, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so tell us about that. I mean, because I know the the meeting, the addiction recovery program, they they play a role in, in in different layers, right? Even just going there and saying, "Oh, I'm not wait, I'm not the only one that's experiencing this." I mean, that's helpful, right? To to find empathy towards a, a mutual empathy towards one another, and then obviously the steps. But walk us through what did that from from the per perspective of an addict. How did that? How did that help you? What process unfolded as you were there? Talk, talk about the first time you went. How Jay? How um, 
you were judging everyone in the meeting. Oh, yeah. So here's the thing about addicts, and this is what bishops and leaders or anyone who's listening to this podcast or ours, or even if you're talking with a family or friend, um, those of us, we have a lot of characteristic uh, things that are pretty similar with all addicts across the board, male or female, doesn't matter your addiction or not. We have a thing called an ego, right? And it's pretty, and it's pretty big. And my, my mind could be really tamed at times, right? When I first joined the church, I, had a, I was really humbled because I realized like how I was lost for so many years. I had those things brought. But you know, I thought I, you know, when I came into that point, okay, now seven years into my addiction, because of the amount of drugs, because of my wife leaving me, because of my friends leaving me, my bishops like leaving me pretty much, I felt like I thought I was terminally unique. And so I walked in there going, you can't help me. My bishop, you know, no one can help me. God can't help me. Everyone's turned their back on me. I'm turning my back on myself, basically. And I walked in that room full of shame, full of doubt. And even though I, ha- I was in that situation where I lost everything, I still had this ego that was so big and it was judging. And I judged everyone in that room that they were worse than me that first time. That's how I walked in there. And I'm not unique. Once again, I have realized I'm not too unique. And I'm a lot, I've heard the same experience from a lot of people. Their first time walking in there, even though your life may be fully destroyed and at this point with addiction, bishops, if you're listening or anyone, if you're listening and you're like, man, I want them to get it. Well, you know what? They're trying. And I walked in there and I didn't get it the first time. I didn't get it the second time. But what started to happen, you asked about the process, is I slowly started to realize that, wait a minute, I'm not unique. Wait a minute. There's other people in here that have had the same ups in their lives, downs in their life, questions. They had resentment. They were talking about things like resentment towards God. In the church room, you don't talk about maybe your questions towards God, whether he exists, why he left you in this you know, that's not something you talk about in elders quorum or priest quorum or relief society. You know, you know, you just talk about the the good times, right? The good moments, the the you know, the miracles in your life. But which they were talking about, but there was also people relating how they were as miserable as I felt, but now they weren't. So I slowly started to see hope, first of all, right? And then I started to realize I wasn't terminally unique. So that shame started to slowly break away, which I feel like everyone, you're not going to find recovery if you're still living in shame, because that shame and guilt is exactly where the adversary wants you. Yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of shame, like, and not that this is required for every addict to feel, you know, officially be in recovery, but, you know, Brad talks about his first interaction with you in that fast and testimony meeting where you stood up and you were, you were open about it. And I, I've noticed that, especially during my time as uh, serving as bishop, that there's sort of this process where in the beginning, regardless of what it is, even if it's an addiction or, you know, transgression, whatever, the individual walks in and sort of has this attitude of like, okay, Bishop, let's just keep this between me and you, clean this up and get on with our life, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, but, and not that we need, you know, you need to walk around talking about it, but there gets, there's like this switch that goes off, in, especially with addicts, where suddenly I feel like, I don't care who knows, you know, again, not that they're out there, you know, telling everybody they run into, but they're willing to stand up in front of groups and saying, this is something I struggle with. And, and the grace of Jesus Christ has saved me. And and I, I'm not ashamed to talk about it. And that, like you said, the shame starts to break away. Totally. Yeah, that's yeah. What, that's the crazy part is, you know, we want to know why that switch happens. <clears throat> so the actual 12th step of the program is to go out and share it with others. Right. And now Mm. now there are people and it's fine to not want to share it like, you know, in public like I do, you know, just telling anyone and everyone. But you're actually it's like a commandment. It's part of the program. Like in order to keep it, you got to give it away. And Mm. and and it's just like in that you've heard living water testimony and like you got to have living water. The Sea of Galilee has water coming in it where, you know, the Dead Sea has has water coming in it, but it doesn't relieve it. Right. Where the Sea of Galilee also 
gets water in and relieves it, right? So it keeps pure, it keeps clean. And that 12 step is, is what keeps us sober, is going out there and helping other addicts because it reminds you where you need to be. And so that's kind of that natural thing that just, even if it wasn't natural, there's a lot of people like, oh, I don't want to go share this. But then they go to their sponsor, right? Because it's key to have a sponsor in the program. They go, hey, you need to do this now. You need to go try to find someone, bring them to the meeting. It's like, whoa, that really takes you out of your comfort zone if you're not naturally like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the the different parts of uh, the addiction recovery program and, uh, and mainly for the fact of, um, you know, I think back my uh, my first day as bishop, you know, I, I, I was literally set apart as bishop two hours before and, uh, you know, I, I'm the bishop now. So I take yeah. over the, the last bishop's uh, appointments and <laughs> add a random name on, on the list that I didn't know. So I sit down, invite him in and he shares with me, you know, a pornography and not, not that it was an addiction at that point. I don't, I don't exactly remember, but I just sort of, he looked at me like, well, now what bishop? And I, yeah. I, I, I don't know, like, I don't know. Stop it. Like, you know, <coughs> I, that's, that's the, the best thing I, I could say to him is just uh, stop doing it and let's meet until you stop, I guess. And, uh, you know, there's not an official training program that, that leaders go through to say, okay, yeah. addiction cases, here are 10 resources, and here's how the addiction recovery program works, right? And then I remember later on, I was about two, three years, maybe even four years into being bishop, and uh, somebody that I had been meeting with invited me to come to uh, his addiction recovery, the, the meeting that he went to. And I thought, you know what, it's about time I, I did this. It's not that I was avoiding it, but I thought, you know, I, I should go and check it out. And I remember sitting there thinking, I can't believe it's taken me over three years to get here. Like just experiencing it and totally. being there and, and, you know, you walk in there and it's, it's not like you tell everybody, well, I'm the bishop, you know, there's, yeah, I'm the that. bishop. Hey, just so you know, I'm the bishop, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. But, I mean, you but, don't do that. I went in as Kurt and, and just really enjoyed the spirit of the meeting. And I wish more bishops within the first month or six weeks of being called go to addiction recovery program and understand the dynamic that happens there. Amen to that, Kurt. That was just one of my notes I wanted to cover is, is to go to a meeting and and pro, proper protocol proper proper protocol is you're just your first name only and the ten the yeah. temptation is and I've had a few bishops do this is like hey I'm a bishop or I'm here with this guy you know it's kind of down you know I'm not one of you guys which yeah. would be the worst yeah. thing you could say is you're just yeah. Kurt that's it yep. yep and you go and you you don't you don't need to share um, you don't need to share that you're just there observing or whatever you just you're Kurt. And, and you don't need to give amends to everyone. It's like nope. we're like like a applause. Like I just applaud you. And yeah. I mean, it's all out of good spirit. Like you no, will be tempted mm. to because you you will be impressed and yeah, you will be like, man, I need to say how how proud I am and how awesome you guys are. But that 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 comes across as condescending, even though it's not. That's a great point. Not trying yeah. to be that way. Yep. Right, because you're you're there experiencing it, and you think, wow, look, I mean, like I and, and you want to say like, yeah. wow, you guys are doing such a good job. Yes. I applaud you, and you're all thinking, I'm not here for applause. No. You think I'm here for applause? Yeah, you yeah. know, this is this is much different than that. Yeah, yeah. this what, is life or be, death. Man. What what did, were you uh, hesitant at all walking in your first meeting? Like, you know, uh, who's going to see me? What are they going to think? You know, personally, I'm I'm probably more self confident than I should be. <laughs> I could use a bit more humility, but you know, it was a big thing. And and actually, like halfway through, I remember the the guy that I went with for my ward. He sort of outed me halfway through, and he said, "Oh, this is my bishop." I was like, "Hey, you no, know, no, don't tell people that." <laughs> Anonymity, you know? because, right? <laughs> yeah, I was just enjoying like you know enjoying almost like the daring people to judge me because it was like you know mm -hmm. I'm I'm willing to sit among you if you if you think I'm an, an, an addict so be it you great, know I'm, I'm I'm one among you and that's really a great attitude to to walk into those meetings totally. with but but you got to get there 
Good, good Absolutely. challenge right there. Bishops, stake presidencies, elders corn presidents, real estate presidents. You hear that challenge? Because all you had to do was go to then now all – it's not like now you got to go like know every how the whole program yeah. works. Now all you do is after that meeting, every time someone walks in there and says, hey, listen, I like you guys said on your podcast, if they've been using pornography for a, and tried to stop and can't, then guess what? You go, hey, there's this manual. You go right over to your drawer. You pull out the manual and you yep. say, this is what time it is. I want you there on Thursday. If, if you yeah. use that same analogy of if you were smoking pot and you did the same pattern of smoking pot as you did by looking at pornography, you would consider yourself an addict probably. Yeah, for sure. If you right. did the same thing with cocaine, right. you did the same thing with alcohol. Just replace whatever that drug is, whether it's porn, masturbation, cocaine, alcohol, food, depression. Food. I don't care what it replace is. Replace that activity yeah. that's contrary contrary to the gospel and how it's affecting your life replace it like change it and and what would you classify them that's kind of a self-check to see whether you have a problem or not that's a good segue to talk about like with the bishops that are listening about like you know what's the definition of an addiction or not but it says right there in the manual that if if an addiction takes surrenders your later ability to choose and that's one of the apostles who said that so if you feel like your life and then it says also in step one if your life has become unmanageable because of a behavior or a a drug or a drink or whatever it is right an action or whatever your life is unmanageable you you can't control remember i said my switchboard was turned off like you know all the plugs were not plugged in anymore um then guess what this program can help you i don't care who you are what your background is how much money you make because guess what we have doctors lawyers teachers women's housewife kids you know they all come in and unfortunately not all of them make it out we bear you know in, in orange county and and in utah especially but in orange county it's it's we lose someone almost every single day a young person usually, and they overdose from prescription drugs or these other problems, you know, with suicide and other things. And no one's exempt. It's, you know, yeah. a, the disease of addiction is not, um, it doesn't, it's no respecter of man or woman. Yeah. And, and yeah. park bench to Park Avenue, it'll take you out. You know, and as we as we record this episode, I think that'll be the, the returning theme of, of just, you know, this podcast will not substitute for going yourself and experiencing a meeting you know just because we tell you what generally happens because i remember a shift that happened to me as a a priesthood leader is before i sort of handled it like a prescription you know or like this is your therapy okay you're you're having some problems with uh, you know pornography listen you're gonna go to this meeting okay that's that's your homework go to this meeting and then after it was like you have got to go check out what's going on. Like, yeah. you know, you got to see this community. You got to realize there's more people like you that are that are struggling and that are are making it day to day, or some that are that have made it years. You know, and you got to experience their their experience and get there and realize that there's some great support for you. So it, it, I can't emphasize enough that leaders got to get there. For well, sure. I'd also uh, our leaders know um, people in your ward. That have overcome addiction, and one of the church cultures I think we need to overcome is, you know, we have people sitting in in our sacrament meetings that have got years, ten years, twenty years of sobriety, and they don't show up to ARP meetings and be the model mentor or sponsor for future people. And so, you know, you had Sarah Walker on your podcast. We had a gentleman yeah. last week on ours that basically said, you know, you go to some of these meetings and there's month, there's only people there with like weeks. And, and yet, it's hard to and yeah. it's hard to it's hard for a, a new addict to to get the hope, and so our church culture is I've done the 12, 12 weeks check that off I'm good I'm not going to go back. And the reality is, uh, relapse is very probable if you're not keep continue to go to meetings. Yep. And number two, how selfish is that that you're not going and sharing with others because, with what you've gained from this meeting? And that's part of the 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 program um, is 
being there and being a sponsor and being an inspiration to other people. And if you're just hiding that, recover under a bushel, there are going to be people die. There'll be families wrecked. There'll be people destroyed because they haven't had that. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And, and like you mentioned, the, you know, you reference just the culture of, and I think it's human nature a lot, but it oh, is yeah. found within in our church of just like, you know, I want to get put this behind me mm-hmm. and bury it and not even think about it ever again, you know, and so therefore we we miss out on this wonderful opportunity to, to be a sponsor for other people. Maybe dig into that. Explain, explain to us a little bit what the dynamic of a sponsor is in a addiction recovery group. All right. So yeah, a sponsor basically is someone that has uh, obviously overcome an addiction, but specifically with the 12 steps. If you haven't done the 12 steps to get recovery, so I'm not talking about someone who had a, br- a drug, an alcohol problem, or pornography problem back when they were a kid and they overcame it, joined the church, and they've never had a problem since. They probably either themselves weren't an addict at that point, if they're living a productive life and have not white-knuckling it per se, and they're just living life. They can come and be a support, maybe do them step, do the steps if they feel so need, but in order, you can't walk... You can't walk someone through something you haven't done, and the twelve steps are what save lives, and that's what that's what cha- that's what plugged me back into the Holy Ghost. It's what plugged me back into Heavenly Father. So it took the switchboard and turned it on, right? So they have to have done the steps themselves and have to be, you know, actively live, living a, in recovery and living the program, and that's basically it. There's there's no qualification. So if a guy yeah. came in and did all twelve steps with his sponsor and was legit and did it in twelve weeks, guess what? He's he's ready to be a sponsor. Right. Yeah. And, and you can always be ready to bring someone to the meeting after your first time. So like I was brought to someone who was still suffering from his addiction, but he took me, but he couldn't sponsor me. But the guy who had eight months, who was just ahead of me, who got his chip, which we've interviewed on our podcast before, he walked up to me and said, hey, you know, I'll walk you through the steps. And and, there, and he did. How, Jay, how does a sponsor different from your priesthood leader? Because the, That's the every manual yeah. has you That's great. Uh, specific steps that you go through and you work with your sponsor. Yep. And then there's also a second part that says talk to your priesthood leader. And yeah. so those are two different roles. How, how totally. are they different for you? Um, I, yeah, uh, it's, it's a great question. And, and I've heard before, and I kind of cringe sometimes when people share at a meeting, like, oh, my bishop's my sponsor. And I'm like, oh, unless that bishop has gone through recovery, once again, and taken those 12 steps for his or her own, or I guess his life, uh, then then unfortunately they are you are not qualified to sponsor someone are you more than qualified to to lead guide repentance counsel like spiritual absolutely you're you're part of the you're part of the recovery team for that individual you're part of you're part of the accountability probably more higher than anyone else even more than their spouse at that point you know um but unfortunately you know th- that's where they, that's where it lies the, these people And I know you want to help if you're a bishop and if you're a stake president. You may be super spiritual and you may have overcome some adversity in your life. But I promise you, this disease in the brain and in the mind and in the spirit is so baffling and cunning that when when a person has multiple relapses or does things that you, you will not be able to understand or comprehend and know where to go eventually if it doesn't happen right away when you try to sponsor someone. And you won't be able to, you won't know what to do or what to say. But another addict who's been there, who's done that, who's been on the roller coaster for half their life or, or a couple years or whatever, they will know because they will get it and they understand there's a magic that happens. I cannot explain it. But when yeah. I go and talk to someone, it's not that I'm any better or smarter. I wish bishops could go and do it, right? Because that's, you know, they have such spirit with them, right? But there's something about another alcoholic talking, who in recovery, talking to that guy who's trying to put down the bottle that day or replace that with drugs or, or porn, right? It's an 
there's a magic that happens when you can relate, when that individual who's on the verge of stopping and it just doesn't necessarily have hope yet, when they meet that guy who's been there and done that or that girl who's been there and done that and is now living free and joyous and, and, and happy, there's a magic that happens. And you, these people like me that have these massive egos and these walls put up, they just break them down and they go, I'll tell you anything. And like their leaders and their loved ones and their spouses and their friends and brothers or their parents have been trying to break that wall for years maybe. But it doesn't happen, and it ha- and I, I don't know why that is, but it just is what it is. Yeah, and, and that's such a powerful message that leaders can take out of this because that that was even I guess I, I never realized that even after going the addiction recovery that I, it is and early on as a bishop, I remember feeling like okay, my role is I'm the addiction police, so I, I bring <laughs> them in and say, all right, have you relapsed and. Oh, you have. Okay. Well, okay. Here we go again. All right. Then next week, have you relapsed? Oh man. Again, like really? And and you don't realize that you can't help them. If you're you're doing that, the question should be, have you talked to your sponsor? Yeah. Yeah. Have you talked to your sponsor? Because you're still there for accountability for sure. The accountability is there and that's part of the repentance. But, but, uh, you know, if a relapse happens, did you call your sponsor? What did, what did your sponsor say? And maybe starting to work together. And And if they say no, or I don't have a sponsor, that's a red flag. Oh, there you go. That, there's your missing piece. Of course you're going to yeah. relapse. If you don't have a sponsor, you're going to relapse. If you're going there by yourself, it's awesome, and it changed my life. But it only lasted a couple months before being I, – I was sober, and I couldn't believe that because I thought I was going to die on drugs. I thought I was so far gone at that point, 1,000 prescription drugs a month, you know what I mean? I mean, stealing them from people's house. I mean, I just turned into a whole other human, right? Just insane. Mm. And then yeah. all of a sudden stopped. But then that same thing that happened way back on my mission where all of a sudden I still felt unplugged, right? I had anxiety come up. I had all these things that were normal. I had gone through the withdrawals, but now I had the kind of the wake, right? You stop a boat, there's wake that comes up. Well, I had all the wake hitting me, and I didn't really know what to do. And so luckily a leader from the meeting said, hey, guess what? Do you have a sponsor? No? Okay, you got to call this guy. Yeah, and I'm just thinking of, you know, how powerful a message would be for, for an addict to hear from their bishop I can't help you. Yeah. you know, I you've got to reach out to a sponsor. You're not going to find help with me. That'd be you know, amazing. And, it would be amazing yeah, and, if one of my bishops said that because then I wouldn't have because I built a resentment towards them, and that's not right. But that's what right. I did back when I was. I was like, well, if you got the spirit, if you got the testimony, you got the priesthood, why can't you help me? I was looking for right. someone to save me. Right. And and, and, and this is you can't. this is a a tough thing for bishops to overcome is you, or, or any priesthood leader, you know, you're set apart, you're yeah, you're get, yeah. you're ordained with keys of the priesthood, which are you know obviously extremely powerful. Nice. I felt yeah. I felt the the weight and the the power of those keys, but that suddenly you feel like, well, I'm I'm the go-to. I, I solve the ward's problems and uh but really we have to get in this mindset of no, you don't solve the problems, but you get so familiar with resources that you divvy those out that one, it's not taking all your time because there's more than you could ever do, but you're you know where to point people and, and sort of you know point them at that resource to to help them out. Kurt, on that um, point, real quick, yeah. that couldn't have been said any better. One thing I learned in this program, and I have to relearn it all the time, is you and this goes for addicts and this goes for bishops, this goes for anyone wanting to missionaries, this goes for anyone that is called to the work and trying to help someone else. You carry the message, not the person. It is not our job to be anyone's savior. And that I had to learn that through watching people die that I've tried to sponsor. I've had to learn that through watching loved ones relapse. I've had to you know learn that in, in, in ways that I don't like, you know, that are sad and hard to deal with at the moment. But you know what? 
I wish someone taught me that before I went on my mission because I thought I was the savior, right? I, I was out there doing the Lord's work on, and because I had those keys and priesthood, I could save someone. No, Jesus, savior, you know, the, the, right? We know the grace comes from Christ and Christ alone. So bishops can feel relieved to know that you're not their savior. You're there yeah. to carry the message of recovery or in the gospel, right? Or whatever, repentance, but it's not, you're not saving no one. So true. <laughs> you're going to fail so if you try to do that. It's going to be a pretty tough road. Yeah. And I've heard you mention on your podcast a few times about this concept or the dynamic of sponsors. Sometimes people in the beginning will think, well, my sponsor is Jesus Christ. But that, <laughs> oh, yeah, that doesn't hear that work, too. right? Yeah. 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 That doesn't work. It's kind of hard. And, it's kind of hard to have an inventory face to face. Yeah, because one of the yeah. steps is pretty heavy, man. You got to go through this inventory of your life, and you, you go with that, you know, on your knees. Like we, we you better be pretty in tune with the answers. It's not going right. to work. It's not going right. to work. I've heard all this stuff before. I, my wife is my sponsor. Well, now you're in for a divorce. I tell you what, because she, she ain't going <laughs> to handle the things you're going to dump on her. And 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 a bishop once again, they may sit there and listen. They may have the greatest hearts, but it's just not going to work. I'd say, yeah. and, and this isn't written, or, but from my experience, uh, we talked uh, in our stake about a youth addiction program. Possibly exception to that is if you're a youth and a bishop may be a decent role yeah. to walk through the 12 steps. If you've got a youth and, and there, there's hard to find AA meetings for teens. There's a few of them out there, but they're not as open, yeah. particularly because of the sponsor. I know an adult sponsor with a teen. Unfortunately, um, that's the world it, it we might, live in. It might be more appropriate for a bishop to work with a teen. And you've you got plenty of teens with addiction problems, and they need to go through these 12 steps that's before where they get it starts. out of missions. That's where it starts. Almost everyone I yeah. know in the program started 10, 11 years old. And I'm yeah. talking about people who've served in bishoprics, stake presidencies, like, you know what I mean, all the outward callings, return missionaries, all started when they were 10 or 11. Yeah, and, and that's maybe a good a good caveat to to explore there is is with the youth. You know, I, I would imagine you know some good professional counseling on the side would would help through the process as well. Or or what's your experience there with youth? Because the, the church does not have addiction recovery programs specifically for youth. Nor should you send a youth to these to these programs. Well, right? so the, so my opinion is actually I do believe they should go, and I, I've I've actually. I think okay. they go with their parent or they go by themselves. Sponsorship's a little tricky, but it all depends on what it is, right? If it's a drug addiction, you better get them to a meeting or they're going to die, period. I don't care, right. period, in this story. I don't care anything about worried about, you know, adult sponsors. Uh, yeah, because I, unfortunately, we just buried a 20-year-old who started coming to the meetings when they were 15. And that, but, you know, and that's one of the unfortunates, but, and, um, and his memory will never be lost or forgotten. But um, there are people that come in, 15, 16-year-olds, and they find recovery. So um, they, the point is, is they need to be in a meeting. And so you could still go. And a lot of times the parents will go with them, right? And, um, or a leader, like they may have a young men's leader that would, was willing to go with them and, and support them in their, I've had teens bring other teens. I've, we've spoke to the seminary classes before and the whole stake, or, you know, and the whole stake. And it's amazing how many of them will start showing up at the meetings, which is great, which is great. You know, the re, the, the re, you know if a teenager goes away to rehab, in-house rehab, 80% will relapse within the first year. Yep. So even if you go to a treatment, you go to a counselor, they get sober, 80% of them are going to relapse within the first year. So they, you know, you need a maintenance program. And, yeah. and reading the scriptures are critical, but working the steps will help keep someone sober. So that may be a little misconception as the, far as the them manual, not being able to go. The manual like does say not to, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and but, honestly, if you got a heroin, if your son, which unfortunately, right, well, you and I both know, I guarantee, I promise you, and Utah's the same, but here in yeah. Orange County, the majority of these young men and women that die are under the age of 18 or 25. 
and wow. and and that's opiate prescription drug you know overdose or on antidepressants and suicide and things like this they need to be in those meetings and and yeah. if you you know i guess you got to do what you got to do but I, I tell you what i've seen kids come in if i had this when i was 15 who knows where I would be now? But you know, the point is, is I got it now. But I may not yeah. have made it because I watched a lot of friends not make it. Yeah, and I guess I feel like <laughs> the other side we have to mention is I can just envision a you know a mother walking in on her son looking at pornography and oh my goodness you're an addict like we got to get you to these meetings where yeah. you know maybe this is it's not there's no addiction. You uh, may just be a kid that's, you know, yeah. curious, stumbling around the wrong thing. That doesn't mean he's an addict because he's seen pornography once or twice, right? But when Correct. it becomes unmanageable and, and that's manifest through his life, right? Exactly. And I, I think the big book of Alcoholics, Alcoholics Anonymous talks about the original founder wrote that basically most most people, if it's alcohol or drugs or sex like this, if it was stopped in the beginning, um, they could have, you know, that maybe they wouldn't be and actually, you know what I'm saying? Like the if, earlier they, stop. the earlier to stop, the better. But it, you know, when we're talking about opiates, which is unfortunately this country's ep- epidemic right now, right? Mm-hmm. You know that kills. You know, opiate addiction and 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 death um, is caused. Addiction from opioids is what I'm trying to say is the cause for more deaths than car accidents in this country. So okay, mm-hmm. we're it's an epidemic, right? It's it's something the world That's has never seen. Pornography and opiates; those are like the two. Yeah, those are the two number yeah. things that we see down here, and. You know what? Um, they just need to go, and they need to be honest and assess, which is step one: is you know assessing where you're at and figuring out where you're at. Yeah. Uh, you know, any other? You, we talk about you know if if Bishop went to an addiction recovery uh, meeting and you know at, with all pure intentions said something like, "Oh, we applaud you," or or you know setting themselves apart from the group, you know, just because. Uh, is there any other? Things that that maybe a leader, or regardless of their leader, individuals that are you know family or support that maybe they'd say with the best intentions that really just piles on more shame or doesn't help. Anything else come to mind? Well, uh, kind of around that is this is for most people this is a family disease, and I think we have a lot of times people's like, well, that's his problem or her problem. They need to go, and we have found the most success when we have couples coming to the meeting together and parents with parents their kid. with their kid. And that may not be every meeting because there may be times where the addict needs to go to a separate meeting and share without a spouse or without a parent there. But this is a family problem. And the more that the family, the spouse understands addiction, the better they can help. Enabling is a huge problem. Codependency. Codependency. And so we've had plenty of, we have parents come because, and their kids still active in addiction, but they went, they did the steps themselves because they wanted to understand addiction so they can know how to best help. And stop enabling because a lot of times people enable, right? And, and they're like, uh, you know, it's just natural to want to love people to death, you know. And unfortunately, that, that does happen. I watch people, you know, love their children to death or love their spouse to death. Or, like you said, the shame would be the flip side would be like, oh, well, that's his, it's his porn problem. I don't go to that. And he, he, I want you to fix him and he needs to go to that program, fix him. And then guess what? I, we're never talking about it again. He goes for a couple months and then it's over. Like, you know, I've actually, I've heard these things said by but, women. But Jay, how about the, the, the spouses that have come to our meetings? They may come in with that, but if they continue regularly, they will always well, share. That's what They've saying. always yeah. shared. That's what changed. I used to think. And now, and then I realized, and a saying that happens a lot in, in these meetings are, I got to keep my side of the street clean, that they work on their own salvation and their own flaws. And when they've done that, 
That's when they've started to see. They have that transformation, transformation. of be, uh, where they, they go from wanting to save, remember what I was saying before, save the person, right? You know, you carry the message, not the person. And a thing with the shame, you know, on that note, because that was one of, that was a, that was one of my biggest things that kept me in my disease for a long time is, is the feeling of I was terminally unique and I was going to die with this and there was something wrong with me after my mission, right? There was something, and the bishops and the leaders that I had, because they didn't know what to do and because also maybe, maybe, um, you know, I don't like to speak for other people, but maybe their egos were a little bit uh, large themselves and they were like, well, I can, if I can't fix him, then no one can, and therefore it's better that he's not a member or she's not a member. I've seen it happen with other people. Unfortunately, that's, that's erroneous, right? Like it's bogus. Yeah. And, uh, and so be careful. If you're a bishop, and I'm telling you, it's not your fault. So say a bishop says, hey, you, you, this, that, and the other, and you may say something. You're not going to be perfect, right? And of course not. Right. But oh, just know that, know that like – I'm not, you're, you know, once again, just like you can't save the person, you also are not going to damn the person. They may hold on to that resentment, but guess what? That's on them too. You know what I mean? And I realized I had a lot of resentments towards God, my leaders in this for years, but guess what? It wasn't their fault. That was my ego trying to say, you know, to, you know, justify and minimize my, my problem. So you're not going to be perfect, but if you can do exactly what you said, Kurt, which is allocate resources um, more effectively, learn. If you get called to be a bishop today, like your your story was cool, is like you didn't know what to do. You're however old and this that, and the other, but now you're experienced and you're like, man, it's all about fi- call your family resources rep. Figure out what's out there. What does the church have? What's the program? Go on the websites. The church has so much information now. It's it's unreal. And take that. You may have to go into secular stuff and figure out where that and how you can tie it together. But these 12 steps will save people's lives. And I don't care what it is, drugs, sex, pornography, overeating, undereating, whatever, depression. These people can find comfort in the Holy Ghost and in Jesus Christ and in the atonement in these rooms and with these steps. And that's it because it's the gospel. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the how relationships are, are obviously uh, affected by by addiction and, and individuals looking for recovery. Um, and I've talked, as you mentioned, some of the other episodes where I talked with spouses of the addict and, and you know, talk about this comic, the, this con, what am I saying, this uh, concept of this this concept of betrayal trauma right and you oh, see it sure. a lot especially in uh, pornography addiction but i would guess in any addiction you know i think pornography since it's uh, sexual related you know obviously there there's that sexual relationship that's damaged within marriage but i would guess with any addiction there's with drugs some too. level of betrayal yeah. trauma right it happens with drugs my wife was like if you loved us if you loved me and our son because we had one kid at the time if you loved us she'd stop talk about talk about feeling like a failure you know like when your wife says if you loved us you stop well how do i stop how do I stop? Because yeah. every time I stop, and I can stop, anyone can stop, but how do I stay stopped, right? Like, how do I then now become like an active member of society? How do I deal with all the, you know, the things that are been spinning in my mind on these drugs? How do I, uh, you know, how do I deal with life on life's terms? And that's what these steps do is they teach people um, to deal with stress, anxiety, uh, to deal with uh, curveballs, the ups and downs of life that some people are blessed with that knowledge and they were raised in a great environment and they had those things taught to them or they just got it at a young age. But there are a lot of us, more than, more than not, that don't know how to deal with life on life's terms, especially in the church. And unfortunately, you can know all the, you know, the scripture stories and you can know the gospel principles you know, like the back of your hand, but applying them to real life situations 
is another thing. And I learned that, you know, the hard way. I had to learn a lot. It took a while before someone said, hey, there's this little thing called an ARP meeting. And if you go to it, it might help you. That, yeah. those, that saved my life. So any, any recommendations as far as, you know, the spouse or the family to, because uh, obviously they're, they're experiencing some level of trauma because of this, this addiction. Um, do you recommend they, they go to yep. the, the meetings with them or do they have specific separate meetings for family members or spouses? There's both. So I'd say yes to all those. If you really want to take this serious, you get to multiple meetings, not just the one that's the most convenient. Oh, it's only on this, but you go to multiple meetings. You may want to go to a spouse-only meeting. Uh, I've heard some reports that sometimes they're like a bashing on your spouse. Some of them are fantastic. So you may mm. need to go to a couple of them. I think going to a general addiction meeting, if you, if you went to a general addiction meeting. As a couple. As, even as a spouse. Or right? just Like a spouse say, my yourself. wife is X or my husband. And like, look, I'm there. And during the sharing, say, I'm at this meeting. My name is Brad. And my wife is a blank addict. I will find some support there because I'll have someone come up to me and say, you know what? my spouse is the same way you might have them come up to you like if, if there's jay talked about magic the spirit is in control of this recovery where if someone is serious about getting recovery and you pray to find out where you should go the lord will take you to the right meeting and there will be people there that are they're there to help so go and so so kind of like i'm not want to pigeonhole into just one of those go to arp.lds.org type in your address Look at all the meetings are around you. You can do a radius of your zip code. It's yeah. like going to like Craigslist or like CarMax. You yeah. can go in there and find two, two oil. You can find 100, uh, 75, 100. Men only meeting, women only meeting, yeah. porn only. And this is general. the church. This is all within the church. You don't have to go to the world. Now, you may, yeah. you may be in an area where there's only one. So go. Guess what? Go. And if it's not all you thought it to be, well, you know what? What did, what did all the, the, you know, the, the great prophets of old do? They built it up, right? Yeah. Go there and get recovery and then go out there and spread the word. And get that yeah. meeting going. The first meeting I went to had seven people on a regular basis. Now it has 45. Now we have four other meetings that have 30 to 40 people. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, a lot can happen from someone who's willing to go above and beyond to, you know, help others. So go to a yeah. meeting, though, no matter what, spouse or not. And, and the neat thing about this program is, I, I kind of asked before the podcast started, like, who starts it in the stake? It's just people like Jay and I. There's usually mm-hmm. not a top-down because you know most stake presidents aren't active in, in addiction. They haven't gone through 12 steps. They're not thinking, hey, let's get this started. It's usually from the bottom up, like, hey, we need to get this to help other people. And so that, that's how most meetings that I know about have started, is just a couple of people got together and say, we need to create this resource. And so there may be new meetings that don't have a lot of people, but they need to be supported. Yeah. I, I went every week, no matter what, whether it was three people or five people or seven people. How about this, Jay? How long have you been sober? I've been sober uh, four and a half uh, years this month. How often do you wow. go to a meeting? I go every week, and a lot of times two to three a week. Wow. Still sober. Wow. You know, I've been I've had one relapse, and I go, there's no way. I, if I miss a week, I might as well just, I might as well just, you know, I, I, that week I gambled with my life. And, mm. and for, and that's for how some, I look at it. And some people say that, wow, that seems like a big burden. But yeah, it's, it's basically my my family, like my kids, right? My kids are now getting older. In the beginning, they were babies. Now, I mean, I got a six year old and a four year old and and a baby. But the the four and six year old are like, Daddy, you got you're gone every. You know, it's like, and I don't have one of those jobs where I'm nine to five, so I work from home and whatever. But they see me have to leave every night. It's like sometimes I've worked all day and I have to turn around and go. It's like a bishop, right? But you know what? I yeah. go and I tell them. I say I go so I can be a better daddy. And then I go so I can help someone else do the same thing. Do you want me yeah. to help other people? Right? And if I, put, if I put recovery first, guess what? Everyone wins. Because the J that's not in recovery, no one wins. 
It's it, no one wins who who knows that person or comes in contact with that person. And I'm not, you know, I'm not the only one that felt that way. Someone else taught me that, and then yeah. I, and then I followed it and I realized, wow, it's real. Wow, I, I love your story, Jay. Especially, you know, it's it, it, you know, to be, you know, this podcast is focused on leadership, obviously, in the context of, of the LDS Church, and and it's easy to get called as a bishop and and call yourself a leader, but it's another thing to realize where you can be a leader in life and and pick yourself up and and go lead, you know, and, and without an official, you know, mandate from above telling you. But obviously, they're they're whether uh, you know it's a, a human that did it, but nonetheless, it's a spiritual mandate. I'm sure you felt that this is where you're going to lead in the world. For sure. That's yeah. I mean, I'm grateful now for my problems. I'm grateful for my disease. I'm grateful for my past because it's the key to my future and it's the key to everyone. And because everyone's got problems, everyone's got uh, ailments. And and now I can face. It says in the steps once you've uh, done your inventory, I can now face people on equal ground. I don't have yeah. to judge myself. Am I below or above that person? I can face everyone and everything on equal footing. And for me, that was something that was missing in my life from day one. Even when I joined the church, it wasn't there, right? Because I felt less than others, right? And then when I became self-righteous, I felt more than others, right? So I'm now I'm in this neutral area that I want to face life on equal terms with everyone, right? And I'm a combination of weaknesses and strengths. And it's a spiritual program, you know? Yeah. And uh, Brad, you mentioned the uh, addiction recovery website the church has, uh, addictionrecovery.lds.org. I, I guess you can go to aarp.lds.org. Is that right? Yep, that's right. And there's okay. a direct link off there currently. Is just one is for uh, the ARP manual, and the other one is for uh, uh, family support, family, family support. Or yeah. support. And it links you to both of those sides. And a big uh, link for find a meeting. And so you can go there and, and like you said, put in your zip code. And, like CarMax. And, and find. Yeah, like CarMax. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is great, guys. Uh, before I ask you one last question, uh, where obviously, you know, people need to check out your podcast, listen to it, recommend it for others, especially those uh, addicts that, that need additional help throughout the week. Uh, where, where do they find you? So you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, any of your podcast uh, broadcasters. It's called The Next Step Podcast. And if you want to Google Next Step Podcast with Brad and Jay, you'll see it. We do have a website that's pretty lame because we just do this whenever we have extra time and the ways are bad. <laughs> yeah. And we have an Instagram account and Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we're trying to reach out. We got a lineup of people for Ask the Addict. So if you're an addict in recovery and would like to share your story, Hit us up on Facebook or Instagram and, and tell us a little bit about your story and see if we can share your message to the world. We've got listeners from all over the world, which some some countries that don't even speak English, and it, um, yeah. it's just it's really neat to see. Um, and we're just out cool. trying to spread the word of, of hope and recovery. Yeah, you know I can't I can't recommend it enough. And uh, you know if you don't have time. Uh, to listen to their podcast, skip mine for a week and or two, and, and listen to theirs. I think you'll you'll definitely be spiritually uplifted, and and it's a great resource. So can't recommend enough for my audience to check it out. Um, the last question I have, and, and maybe we'll start with you, Brad, and then with you, Jay. Uh, Brad, you you as well have uh, you know been a leader, uh, starting to you know starting this group there in Southern California and, and, and keeping it going and helping a lot of people. So how has being a leader in this in this realm helped you be a better follower of Jesus Christ? I, uh, you know, I, I've really come to better learn what the atonement's about. It's not just for the sinner. It's for the person who's affected by sin. And it's for at any stage of your life, big sins, small sins, but it's relying upon the, the atonement to heal. And I've seen, um, I've seen marriages healed. I've seen 
person's healed physically, emotionally, spiritually. And, you know, it, it's, you can't even describe it. Like, you know, you have people come in that are at the bottom. They're yeah, trash cans. They're, we literally had someone coming in eating out of trash cans. And is now a productive t- member. Of- to see six months, a year later, productive. We've seen, you know, people in bishoprics, really site presidents that are just at the bottom. You know, their, their ego is, their double life crumbled. You know, they're living a double life in the church, and then it, it, it crumbled. And yet they were able to little back. And the amazing thing is, every, I, I think I can say commonly, everyone has said, and they, and they hesitate to say, this is weird saying it, but I'm thankful that I had to go through this because I'm a better person now and I have a better testimony of the, of the atonement. And that is very powerful to have someone go through hell and come back and say, I'm actually glad I did that. It just, it, it's awesome to see. And Jay, what about you? As you've led in this realm, how has that made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? First thing that comes to mind is judgment. Like I said, I had an ego, <clears throat> I, you know, as a kid and younger, but then when I joined the church, I, I at first was felt like less than most of the people that I was meeting in the church because they were just so amazing the way they lived their life. But then quickly after, once you know you have some spiritual experiences and you're keeping the commandments, I'm I'm no different than you know the children of Israel or any other you know the Nephites or whatever. Like I I'm I'm a judgment by my nature I can be very judgmental and I think everyone is. But for me the biggest thing I've learned is like you know I don't judge anyone anymore. And if I do it's not like that. Oh I'm better than it's just you know I'm just judging the situation right. And to me I don't know how you can be a follower of Christ and be a judgmental. I really don't. So you may think you are, but I promise you you're not. And so the biggest thing for me was like. Man, I just I see people finally for their potential and and myself for my potential, even when I make mistakes. All right, guys, should we cut it off there? Yeah, you're awesome. Man. Yeah, thanks, Kurt. That was awesome.
Give him shelter in the hollow of thy